Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm the assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. I'm in my podcast time machine. I have been sent here from the past to this point in the present to say to you, the Lord has drawn near to you in grace. He is eager to forgive and he loves to comfort. So why not draw near to him in prayer? I, I need reminders like that all the time. My my past self kicks my future self uh, in the rear because I'm a forgetful, lazy person. I am not a natural prayer or prayer. I don't know what the terminology would be. I'm not. It doesn't come natural to me to pray. It doesn't come naturally. But a, a mind shift and a heart shift on prayer has helped me a lot. And those are some of the things wisely encouraged in this new book by John Stark. It's called The Possibility of Prayer, Finding Stillness with God in a Restless World. The world clamors for efficiency and productivity, but the life of prayer is neither efficient nor productive. Instead, as we lean um, into prayer and learn in things like the Psalms, prayer calls us to wait, to watch, to listen, to taste, and to see. These things are not productive by any modern measure, but they are transformative. As a pastor in Manhattan, John Stark knows the bustle and busyness of our society, but he also knows that prayer is not just for spiritual giants. He writes in his new book that prayer is for each of us, not because we are full of spiritual wisdom and maturity, but because, in fact, we are empty. So here's an invitation to discover via the church's ancient rhythms and with John Stark's clear practical guidance, the possibility of prayer, a book about prayer that is really about the whole Christian life. John Stark is the lead pastor of Apostles Church Uptown in New York City. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, brother. Yeah. yeah thanks for having me. So th- this is your first uh, solo book. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, w- w- what does a guy in Manhattan know about prayer, man? <laughs> You're too busy to pray. In my in my smallest prayer closet called an apartment, you can find, I guess. <laughs> um so you 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 start the book talking about the impossibility of prayer. Yes. What what do you mean by that? What what do you mean by the impossibility of it? Well, I think for a number of things. Um one, if we just really sort of um recognize who God is and um, see him for who he is. Uh, The idea of prayer is a pretty unimaginable thing. He creates the universe and blows up stars. And um, yeah, he's a pretty dangerous God if you take him for, for who he is. Um, And so that just the sort of big transcendence of God, the idea of, of communion, communion and intimacy is, almost pretty silly. Um, but aside from that, just our own hearts, um, we're busy. Uh, we're, we live in a fast paced world. We live in a performative world. So I want to show my identity to you and I want to find affirmation. That's not a very quiet life usually. Um, but also we're full of weird emotions like shame where I may not feel comfortable um, in the presence of God, I may not feel worthy of um, 
you probably hear that real loud, don't you? The saw. <laughs> There's the something saw. going on in the background. Oh, okay. So they're doing construction or something. But it's good. It's a good. <sighs> it's a good thematic backdrop because we're talking about stillness and quiet. <laughs> and so it's good that we've got this ambiance. But our, is it really distracting? No, it's fine. And in fact, our guy might be able to do some things to kind of subdue that. But okay, but I I, I can hear you fine. And, I do um, me start starting in. in no, no, let's just say hey, this part? is all part of it. The okay. messiness of prayer, okay. man. It's the messiness of the conversation. <laughs> just keep going. Well, what I meant to say is um, shame is is a, is a real challenge to prayer of, of feeling comfortable with yourself in the presence of God. And I, that can just be a real challenge of, of knowing what I did yesterday the failures, um, the weaknesses, and those all those all those things come with you to prayer, and so you got to do something with those emotions, and that's either going to be reckoned with with Christ, or it's we're going to try to find some other way of dealing with those emotions. And I think the other thing is when we're still, all of our fears and anxieties and monsters and trolls just sort of come to the surface and distract us, or try to tear us apart on the, on the inside. And uh, we don't like being alone with ourselves. You know, if you ever walk through a supermarket without music, you just want them to turn anything, anything on. <laughs> just don't make it quiet anymore. Um, we're, we're pretty uncomfortable with quiet and stillness. And so prayer kind of demands all of that. We deal with all of those issues. And so it can feel pretty impossible. Yeah. What's the line? I think it's uh, Pascal who said something like all of humanity's problems stem from his inability to sit quietly in his room alone. (laughs) And I think, um, you know, as we're recording this, you know, a lot of us are still in in kind of the shutdown from uh, COVID-19. When people are hearing it, they may still be under that. I think a lot of states right now are cautiously reopening. But um I think this has exposed that to some extent. The yeah. the we're having to face ourselves, and even some of the distractions that we use normally, um, we're, we're you know we're having to lean on them even more heavily than you know the internet and everything else, entertainment, distractions, diversions, and and we're finding those oddly dissatisfying in ways we didn't before. And I think there really is something to what you were saying, just in terms of w- when I'm alone and still. I actually have to deal with myself or think about myself yeah. and it, it, it's a vulnerable thing. And certainly if I bring that now into, into the sphere of uh, my relationship with God, I'm going to talk to God. Yeah. Um, do you think that has a lot to do with, um, you know, so a lot of pastors I know and, and just speaking um, for myself as well, ministry leaders, this is my bent. We read like it's nothing. I mean, we're given to study. We're given to yeah. theology. Um, you know, Bible study. You, you don't have to nudge us too hard to pour into the Word, but yeah. prayer just does not. It doesn't. It goes against the grain somehow. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so many pastors, even those who are committed to spiritual vocation, tend yeah. more naturally towards Bible study, for instance, than to into prayer. Well, I think I can only maybe speak for myself in that way. <clears throat> you know, there's a difference between um, sort of this analytical connecting the dots, acting upon the word, and then allowing the word act upon you. And um, what that demands is is a kind of vulnerable 
humble posture. You're sort of putting yourself in the way of what God, of what God might do to you, um, <laughs> which is a fairly it's a fairly terrible, terrifying thing when you get to know yourself. So if you sort of open yourself up to what the eye of what Psalm 139 talks about with God of seeing all of your intentions, all of your motivations, even before the words you, even before you say the words you're going to say, he knows what you're going to say and what's behind those words, which is a terrifying thing. <laughs> and, and for me just to sit down and receive what God might have for me in that moment is in the end good news, but it's through fire, it's through swords type of um, experiences. And, and in some ways we have to put ourselves in the position of um, the woman at the well in John 4. We have to see ourselves not as someone who is a, a friend of that woman at the well. Like we, we want to put ourselves in the, the hero of Jesus's place. Like, oh yeah, I need to go hang out with outcasts and um, be friends with sinners. But no, we're, we're actually the sinners that need to be befriended by Jesus. And so reading the passages, not in the position of Jesus, but putting ourselves in the, in the position to receive everything that Jesus has for us. And that, you know, if you just read the Gospel of John, the people who experience who Jesus is and what he has for us first are the people in pretty low positions. So at the wedding at Cana, the people who saw the uh, water turned into wine, which was his like calling card, <laughs> were the servants. No one else saw it. Like it wasn't a, a for show. It was for people who were low enough to see. And the first person who heard that he was the Messiah was the woman at the well. You know, it's it's the people who were in a very humiliated, low enough state who were able to receive and commune with God in, in a way that, you know, see who he is and experience what he has for, for them. And that's what prayer is, is really sort of putting ourselves in the position to receive that everything that Jesus has for us it just takes a lot of humility. And I don't know, I think we pastors aren't the, the always the most humble people. <laughs> in the I world. love that. Um, the, uh, what you said about it's for people low enough to see, I, I wonder if you think there's something else to it as well, because you, you, you talk about prayer doesn't seem immediate, you know, productive or, yeah. if, you know, efficient. And for a lot of uh, folks in ministry, there's just the sense of how, how, how is this thing I'm doing paying off to, you know, to my end results or to my desired results. And so prayer isn't, it, you know, efficient. It's not, you know, immediately, it's not immediately practical. It's not pragmatic in any sense. Do you think that has a, you know, part to play in it as well? Yeah. I mean, the, even in this pandemic, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't want to guilt trip us in any way, but I think for pastors who are already feeling the pinch of like, oh man, they only think I work on Sundays anyway. Um, <laughs> right. What do they think now? Um, we're so quick to post our Zoom screenshots just to just to let people know we're doing something. Uh, we're getting stuff done. And, um, you know, for, for, for our elder team, we had to recognize in some way, okay, we can do what we can, but give to God for what we cannot see. Like, and, and it's a lot, we can't see a lot. 
Um, and uh, so that means instead of doing more, we're, we're actually praying more and trying to intercede more, which just doesn't feel productive. It's not, there's no game plan for that. There's, um, there's no strategic plan that Michael Hyatt has for us pastors to implement. And and we use Michael Hyatt stuff, so I don't want to dog him. Um, but uh, yeah, there's that performative aspect in spiritual lives that, uh, that we oftentimes need to feel good about ourselves. Sophie Gilbert, she has a great article. Um, I can't remember what the article was, but I have to attribute the term. She has this term called performative individualism that where she says it's where the performance of the self is more important than the reality of the self. And so I, you know, if the performance shows you what I'm doing and I get to feel affirmation from you, but we're just, that's all the ways in which we find a sense of self. And so the, ourselves are just shallow and nothing much, there's not, not much there. And I think for many pastors, we have, there's, there's a danger for us to have a performative spirituality more than a a real spirituality. Um, It's, there's more of an immediate payoff in the performance. Yeah. Would you say, is that exacerbated where you're at? I mean, just thinking contextually is, is, is it difficult in New York city to impress upon people the, um, you know, the primacy of prayer? I think so. Yeah. But, but it's also, you know, I think it's probably now everywhere, you know, um, in the sense that, I mean, this isn't true now, but like, I mean, you just feel like you got to keep up and, you know, you see that couple on Instagram, you're like, God, they're in Europe again. They're in Europe again. <laughs> yeah. And or, you know, the mom who looks great in active wear, but has three kids and doing dinner on Instagram and just, you know, you're like you feel behind and you feel like the per- you're not performing well and you feel like it's your fault, like you're doing something wrong. You know, you, what used to feel like freedoms now feels like burdens can't keep up. And I don't think that's just a New York thing. I think that's a seems just like a Western world thing. But yeah, there's there is that pressure. I think, you know, there are women and men in our church who are trying to hold up a spiritual life and a performative life where Jesus seems and spiritual renewal seems like a great idea, but it's just one of many options that they can choose from. And, and so to choose that and to not choose these other things feels costly and it is costly, but it feels, it feels costly. Yeah. I mean, even just to think how, how divided we are in terms of, or, or self-contradictory in terms of our own motivation. So, you know, my bent is away from prayer because it doesn't feel immediately practical or beneficial. Sometimes it just feels like I'm just throwing words out into outer space. You know, there's no immediate kind of revelation that comes in response to it or, or anything like that. So, you know, there's no immediate payoff. And so I'm not given to it. And yet I'll sit, you know, for hours in in front of the television or (laughs) surfing the internet, there's no payoff to that as well. There's not anything immediately practical about it, but I'll I'll lean into that for sure. So there's, you know, certainly something in a spiritual dimension that's taking place there. Was there a turning point for you in in your own personal journey in relation to prayer? You know, some, you know, point where it's just like, this is the quantum shift from your understanding of prayer to, or practice even. You know, I come from the Baptistic 
more reformed world. And that's the stream I run in and I love, and that's my community. Um, <clears throat> I often find that there's been a lack in our, in our community of, of rich books on prayer that's not simply praying for the nations or praying for prayer requests or, or things like that, but uh, uh, not a lot of books that have reached for like just the depths of your communion with God. I think there has been in the, in the last few years, but just thinking over the last 10 or 15. Um, and so reaching for and longing for what, what may exist in other communities and other traditions and wishing that our rich theology and our thought life could be partnered with a rich spiritual depth and a rich contemplative, if I can use that term, evangelically. <laughs> um, I think it's fine. I'll allow it. Uh, but um, I, I, so I think there's been a searching for, for that, but it really wasn't until probably 2014, 2015. There's about an 18th month strip where I, I really experienced a real pretty dark depression for a number of reasons, but, um, and I had never experienced depression before, but I couldn't get out of it. And, um, I do think the previous years of trying to develop a prayer life that didn't feel super fruitful, that didn't feel super like it was on fire. Like I didn't feel like I was meeting with God at, on Mount Zion every, every morning. Um, but I, I did feel like it was something that I was developing and, and growing in despite what maybe I didn't have experientially was creating more and more categories for. So that when I, I think when I just fell deep and dark into depression, suddenly like the Psalms were available to me that in ways that they've never been available to me. Um, contexts and um, themes in the Psalms um, brought me out of really dark places, you know, ways of complaining and being angry and feeling um, despair all felt at that point spiritual, not just emotionally draining. And it it might have saved my life in, in many ways. Um, and so I think the Lord just maybe even prepared, had a number of years preparing me for that season to where it didn't just feel like a void. It felt like despair and lonely um, and isolating, but it felt like a fruitful isolation. And I, I think the Lord was um, really merciful in that. I don't know if there's a turning point, but I think just that season of depression maybe lit some candles that were set, but they hadn't been lit yet, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, in a way it's um, getting low enough to see, right? Um, yeah. You know, having been through a similar period myself, there was something about the being out of other options. I think that the lowest moment of my life was also the most transformative yeah. um, in, 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 in the end. I have to comment your name, John, John Stark. It's like a comic book name or an action movie name. <laughs> you're, you're not a hitman on the side or anything, are you? No. It's very no. John Wicky or John, you know, I, I picture <laughs> Keanu Reeves as John Stark or, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> okay. And um, in, in chapter four uh, of your new book, it's, you, don't you love that transition? Um, are you a hitman? In, in chapter four of your book, <laughs> uh, you talk about outgrowing the reactionary heart. 
yeah. what's a re- yeah what's a reactionary heart how how do you outgrow it yeah i think if you can imagine the way i talk about it with maybe some of our leaders at church you walk into let's say you're leading a small group or you're walking into a meeting and everyone's really anxious in that room, everyone's, or maybe really spiritually apathetic in that room. And you are governed by the spirit of the room rather than the spirit of God. And, and so you're just, you're just reacting to the circumstances that you meet, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whatever it is, your, your response is reactionary rather than being governed by deeper truths, a deeper presence of God, a deeper life. And, um, it takes a lot, I think, to outgrow that. It's not just something, oh, I can't do that. I can't be a reactionary anymore. It takes a kind of maturity. You don't you don't just describe a child to a child what it, what does it mean to be an adult and then suddenly they're an adult. They actually have to grow out of it. They they know what they're going for now, but they actually have to grow out of it and it and it takes time. The the second part of your book covers um, the practice of prayer. The first part is is more formally the possibility of prayer. What are some of the things in in, in the practice that you explore? Because I think for a lot of people, yeah. um, they they probably lack a sense of imagination when it comes to prayer. That they, they're in a rut in terms of how they envision it. But you give some context to it, some different kind of even formative, if I can use the word, postures to it. Um, yeah. What is you know some of the things you explore in 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 that section? called the practice of prayer? Yeah, I look at sort of primary and secondary practices and not necessarily um, that one is better than the other, but the, the primary um, practices are um, meditate, meditating on scripture, um, solitude, um, and, and communion. Um, and so communion being just Forming a relationship with God. So yeah. reading the scriptures and praying in a way that is deepening your relationship with, with God. You're, you're doing something with God and um, meditating on, on scripture of just using using scripture as the means in which you are reaching God, you're hearing God, you're communing with God. And then solitude, which is probably the most, I think one of the most challenging disciplines, at least for me as a modern person of just sitting still with God. As we talked about it not being effective or efficient. Uh, yeah. Well, it's effective, just not efficient. Right. Um, that just feels like the biggest waste of time, but it, you know, it, it seems like in many ways, solitude is kind of the basis in which or the soil in which all other disciplines can kind of um, be fruitful. So the the um, those are the primary ones. The secondary ones are um, keeping a Sabbath, um, fasting and feasting. So both both ends and then um, corporate worship. Okay. Tell me some more about corporate worship and, and the connection there. What do you talk about in that chapter? Well, I think in some ways um, you, you need both that dual personal relationship with Christ and the corporate relationship with the body in Christ. And so um, Augustine has this concept of, of, the, um, of the whole Christ of where you are experiencing him and his body. You need the whole thing. And so there are things that we experience 
in the body that we don't experience alone. And there are things that we experience alone with Christ that we don't experience in the body, but there are actually those two dynamics depend on one another to be fruitful. So if I'm in some ways, I'm not just having a personal prayer life with Christ for myself. I'm actually having a personal prayer life with Christ for the sake of the body. And I'm not just experiencing the body just so I can have friends. I actually have the ability to bring that experience with other people back to my relationship with Christ and deepen it there. So, you know, I just sent a video um, because I can't be with them to one of our elders (laughs) to tell him happy birthday. And I meant it when I said to him, I have a deeper walk with Jesus because of your impact in my life. And I need his, his participation in my life for me to be walking more deeply in Christ. That, and that's true for the whole corporate body. What would you say about prayer in in the corporate gathering? I, I remember, so at my last pastorate, we had a, a fellow who lived in town who was uh, a, a representative of a local, um, well, it was a national parachurch ministry, but he lived locally. He attended a different church or was a member of a different church, but lived close to mine. But he would spend essentially every Sunday visiting different churches um, as a representative of his ministry. And he and I were having coffee one morning and he said, you know, um, I've been in a different church over the last, you know, six months or so, um, you know, all, all over the county and beyond. And it, 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 it strikes me, he said, how few of the churches have any substantial prayer in, in, mm-hmm. in their services. They'll maybe open with a prayer or they use prayer as kind of, you know, connective tissue between, you know, different elements of a service or something like that as, as a transition point. But he was remarking, he said, at, at your church, one thing that, that stood out when I attended was you have this long, um, you know, section of, of prayer for the body. You've got a pastoral prayer. You've got, and that wasn't anything I instituted. So I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back. That was the, you know, I inherited that um, structure, but it always came up when, you know, cause our church, you know, our service was getting lengthy <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and we had this. This, um, you know, we were small enough that uh, this is a, a, you know, rural uh, Vermont church. We had um, essentially like prayer and share time. People could share prayer requests and we prayed for each other. And then I would do a pastoral mm-hmm. prayer in response. But as our church grew and the and the building started getting full, that became more and more unwieldy. And as we kind of trouble, you know, try to troubleshoot the length of the service, that was the one thing that we kept coming back to. Maybe we should cut the prayer and share time thing. And I'm not saying that it would, you know, never be an issue where it could be cut, but I always felt guilty that we're, we're taking that mm-hmm. and, and, and treating it as inefficient or, or, you know, it's, it, it's mm-hmm. the obstacle to the thing. Why yeah. do you think so many churches? So I'm, I'm going back to what my friend said about churches that don't spend a lot of time in prayer in their services. I know we touched on, you know, touched on this individually, why we're not given to prayer. Why do you think churches um, programmatically or in, you know, yeah. corporately sometimes aren't given to prayer. Man, that's a really, well, there is an efficiency right now. I mean, we have a small attention span. Prayer is really boring. Corporate prayer is more boring. Um, <laughs> You've got an and, hour, hour and a half or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and so if you are trying to be efficient with your time, having the pastor be long winded in a prayer or to have someone come up, in the part of the church and give, you know, either a a prayer that's been written ahead of time or very awkward ad hoc where every other word is just and the prayer <laughs> can be 
can feel very hard, especially when you want to be professional and um, clean and you got another service getting ready to start after this one. And so it's hard. We we've used it. We've used corporate prayer as the idea that we're not only praying corporately as a church, but we're also trying to teach our people how to pray um, in that time. And it doesn't get rid of how hard it is. But I will say when we when he took the prayer out of my voice and gave it to the people, um, that's when it just turned into a really transformative, impactful, prophetic part of our service. If I can say prophetic evangelically. Um, <laughs> Speak freely, John Stark. Uh, 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 but he, um, uh, they, th- this is probably the most edifying. It's what gets, gets talked about the most in our service now is because people come and it, it allows me the freedom to not have to cover every topic in the news and the sermon. It becomes part of the prayers of the people. So, you know, people bring up racial injustice. They, they um, bring up, you know, elections, and I don't have to talk about it in my sermon. Sometimes it's better for me to talk about it in my sermons, but it allows the people to talk about it and to pray about it. And it, you know, um, in some ways, somewhere, um, I can't remember who said it first, but someone said some books should be articles, some articles should be tweets, and some tweets should just be prayers. And in some ways, like some things that we should say from the pulpit may should just be prayers. Um, and be given to God by in by the people, and I think we've that's been a really meaningful part of our church, and it expresses the groanings of our church, even rather than just the preacher pontificating or furthering his sermon from from the prayer. Yeah, I think there's something to the formation aspect that that you talked about. You know, our church, um, where I'm not a pastor, has a time of essentially what we. It, it's not a pastoral prayer in the sense that one of the pastors is is giving the prayer, um, although sometimes it is, but there are people kind of in the rotation um, who've been, uh, in a sense, yeah. trained for corporate yeah. prayer. Um, yeah. it, it's written out prayers, but those things really do cover, you know, cult, you know, current event type issues. We pray for churches in our area, for sister churches yeah. around us, um, and it's just been a really sweet time for us. But I just think more churches ought to really lean into the element of prayer more, not just as a transitional, you know, stopgap or, or a transitional element, because it's a way of essentially saying we need power from on high, <laughs> you know, for any of the things that we're singing about, preaching about, yeah. for it to quote unquote work, w- we need the Lord and prayer is essentially expressed helplessness in a way. So a, a church service that has no prayer or little prayer in it, is basically saying like, "Hey, we got the goods. We're bringing we got it. Yeah. We got it. We got the stuff, right?" Yeah, okay. Um, exactly. Last question I want to ask you for those who are listening, and 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 for myself, you know, I want to pray more. You know, I've read your book, or I'm I'm interested in just more resources on it because I I see the deficiency in myself. What are some things I can do? What do I do in order to make myself a more prayerful person? Well, I think the biggest thing is to just. The first thing is to imagine is I I want to I want to be more intimate with Jesus. I want that's what I want. And so maybe the first step is is just to take steps towards intimacy. And for some people, 
reading scripture and praying might be actually really challenging because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't quite know how to meditate on scripture very well. It seems confusing. I get distracted. There's a there's a great book, uh, Face to Face by okay. Ken Boa. And it's just like it, it's prayers, daily prayers from scripture. There's an adoration, confession, prayer of renewal, prayer of thanksgiving, um, a prayer to end your prayer. Um, but they're all from scripture. And it there's little prompts that that leads you to to reflect on that passage in prayer and it's towards intimacy and it's really really good um but if that's not the if if you if you've done that for a while or you have some good handle of the scriptures of just reading a passage and allowing that passage to be a or you know, read a chapter and allow a word a phrase a paragraph or a truth be the place where you just worship god confess your sins press into thanksgiving and and, and your needs from from that passage. But the thing that I think has allowed me to press into intimacy better, um, especially maybe even when seasons where I'm struggling with depression or shame, is to read like a, a gospel story anywhere, but just a gospel story, for example, and and read it as if Jesus is retelling that story as because he's present with you, because I I believe in his real presence um, by his spirit, he's really present with you, and it is is his word. So you aren't using it inappropriately to to read that passage as if he's retelling the story. Or if you want to go deeper than that, just take a passage in there, and I go through this practice in the book. Take a passage of scripture and and read it as if the father is trying to tell you all the truths from this passage. So what would a father in heaven say to you? What, what kind of assurances, what kind of love, if you're an adopted son of God, adopted daughter, forgiven, free, what, what would he want to tell you from this passage? Or what would the son want to tell you if he is your co-heir? If all of his, which, if what is true of him is true of you, what belongs to him belongs to you. And he has done all of the work of the gospel on your behalf, what would he want you to know? Or the spirit who's a good friend, a good counselor, an encourager who wants to point you to Jesus, point you to the Father, what would he want you to know from this passage? And actually answering all of those questions from this passage is a really moving and intimate practice. And that's really changed the times when I've um, read the Bible to being just merely analytical and acting upon it from really letting it act upon me um, to receive what it has for me. Does that make sense? It does. And and what a, I think, a transformational way to do application or, or a... Yeah. Oh, yeah. For some, you know, innovative, you know, it's an innovative way uh, to think about how to apply um, the scripture. Brother, that's super helpful. John, thanks so much, brother, for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was huge encouragement. We've been speaking with Pastor John Stark about his new book, The Possibility of Prayer, Finding Stillness with God in a Restless World. It's published by IVP. You can pick it up wherever good books are sold. And as always, if you like the podcast, please share us with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.